This is episode number 183 with founder and chief technology officer at Serolytics, Dominic Ligoth. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today we've got a very interesting episode. We've got Dominic, or for short, Doc Ligot, joining us on the show. And we are talking all about creating businesses in the space of analytics consulting. Dominic is the founder of Serolytics, a data science consulting firm in the Philippines. And they are servicing clients and helping them introduce data science here. We're conducting trainings in the space of data science there, conducting consulting projects, and so on. So very exciting space to be in. And in this podcast, you will learn how Dominic got started out. You'll also learn about the space, the environment, the analytics environment in Philippines. But don't uh, don't threat if uh, don't fret if you are not in the Philippines yourself, because uh, we actually discuss in the episode how all of this, everything we talk about, is actually applicable to any data science environment, whether it's a city or a country, and how to see the telltale signs for that. And interestingly enough about this episode is that normally on the podcast, we try to cover a variety of topics. We try to go in the technical side of things. We try to talk about business. We try to talk about careers. However, in this specific podcast, we don't talk about anything technical. So if you are after technical topics, then this podcast is probably not for you. This podcast is for you, though, if you are considering creating a startup in the space of analytics or if you might be considering sometime down the track doing so or you know, getting into the space of analytics consulting because we got so carried away with the topic. It was such an interesting conversation. Uh, we just thought it would be better not to dive into the technical components of you know the the work that Dominic does and rather specifically focus on the challenges of starting a analytics consulting business and where the world is going in the space of um, analytics in general and the demand for analytics from the industries and businesses so a very interesting chat I personally learned a lot and I can't wait for you to hear it all so without further ado I bring to you Dominic Ligot founder of Serolytics Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And today we've got a very exciting guest on the show, Dominic Ligot. Dominic, welcome. How are you going? Hey, Kirill. Good. Apart from the not so good weather in Manila, but we're all doing fine. We're all nice and dry. Everyone, Everyone's wet outside. But yeah, excited to be on the podcast. It's so, so great to have you. And we're just chatting before the podcast about the Philippines and how you like the Philippines is in the peak or just about to enter the peak of the typhoon season right now how 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 does that usually go down well yeah so the usual is floods trying to avoid water uh trying to get from point a to point b actually it's interesting because uh, i remember talking in another forum about 
the Philippines having what you call a, a typhoon economy. <laughs> so, so there is a part of the economy that's reliant on typhoons hitting so that, you know, all the reconstruction, the plumbers and the carpenters get something done. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing because uh, there was one year where we had an interestingly low number of typhoons from, uh, from the average and that actually hit the GDP a little bit. So there might be some credence to that theory. It's wow. bizarre. <laughs> wow, that is so, so counterintuitive. That, wow, interesting. Okay, good to know. Um, yeah. yeah, we have we have uh, one person working in the Philippines at Super Day Science, and whenever like you guys get into typhoon season, is always problems with the internet, and it's always like so so hard to get in touch. In fact, like I, I hear I know that sometimes people have like two internet providers just as like as a backup at home in case one goes down. Yep. All right. Yep. Cool. yep absolutely. Um, Dominic, so uh, probably first and most important question. Um, very interestingly, uh, you your um, it's like as you discuss, as you mentioned, it's uh, people call you Doc. So I'm probably yeah. going to be calling you Doc throughout the podcast. And to prepare our listeners for that, could you tell us the the story behind why people call you Doc? Yeah, no worries. Actually, it's it's kind of like a normal uh, kind of preamble. Like I say, hey, I'm doc. I'm not a doctor. Uh, it's it's uh, always good for a few seconds elapse. Mm. It it's actually a schoolyard thing. So as early as I don't know, maybe six years old, people were calling me doc for no for for no apparent reason. The name stuck. For a brief moment in time, I was actually considering becoming a medical doctor and. When I realized how much blood that was going to be involved, and you know cadavers, and you know, it just wasn't my thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then much later, I, I think now, especially for the data scientists, uh, you know, you do meet a few doctors in terms of PhDs, and that's always interesting. So people keep asking, so what did you do your PhD in? And they say, well, I'm not really a doctor, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's always a point for conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's definitely a great icebreaker. Uh, hello, I'm yeah. doc, but I'm not a doctor. Raises a few, <laughs> a few questions. All right. Well, thank you. Um, and uh, let's dive straight into it. So uh, for the purposes like to get uh, for our listeners to get to know you a bit better, you're the founder and chief technology officer of Serolytics. Can you tell us a bit about the company and what Serolytics actually does? Yeah. Okay. So Serolytics, uh, just so just so uh, you demystify the name. Uh, Cirrus Clouds, we're all, all about doing analytics on the cloud and of course uh, analytics, so Cirrolytics. Uh, we're a small company, uh, barely 10 consultants, uh, give or take a couple of freelancers. I started the company in 2016, uh, so we've been around for going on two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the inspiration for Cirrolytics actually came about when, you know, my, in, my, in a past life I actually worked for uh, an IT company. And uh, you know, you know how it is with these big IT vendors. You do meet clients, uh, especially in data and analytics. They need they need what you what you're selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of these solutions, especially when you get into the hardcore data warehousing uh, and hard uh, and software, can get pretty expensive. And that was actually a heartbreaker for me, especially working in a in a country like the Philippines, which uh, you know still an emerging economy. Uh, there are many small and medium enterprises who really need the you know the benefits of data. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can't afford it. So I said, okay, well, why don't I just do it myself? After you know, spending uh, going on 20 years actually in the industry, uh, I, I, I might know enough to do my own thing. And yeah, so far so good. We've been at it for for going on two years. Mm-hmm. Our main clientele are usually medium uh, medium sized companies. So normally those with less than 100 employees. Uh, they span 
uh, the gamut from retail, e-commerce, uh, product companies, also other consultants, and usually their needs don't stray too far from the norm. So they've got they're starting to accumulate data themselves, not at the level that you know enterprise companies and big ones. Uh, so so data sizes normally don't stray too far from the gigabytes, occasionally a terabyte. Uh, but now they're struggling because it's stuff that doesn't fit on Excel sheets, and now they realize that that data can be useful for running their business. And when they go out and start talking to the IT vendors and the consultants, they get shocked at just how expensive it gets. Mm. So that normally what that's normally what gets us in the door and say, hey, you know, you need your data sorted out. You need to start uh, getting your feet wet with machine learning, you know, on a simple level, like for your e-commerce company. Uh, so those are the companies we, we go for. Mm. Very interesting. And um, I probably like here, I probably want to mention something that uh, like also we chatted before the podcast that so Philippines, very interesting geographical location, very interesting country. And for, especially for people who haven't been to the Philippines, um, I think we need to like paint a bit, a bit of a picture of what, uh, you know, how this country is set up and like, you know, like in terms of analytics, why this need is growing. So I'll just like mention my side of the story and maybe then you can add in yours. So I've never been to Manila. I'm really looking forward to going to Manila one day. I've heard so many great things. I have been to an island called Cebu and an island called Mount Pascua. And my experience was uh, that like, it's uh, like very far from civilization, very um, non-commercial, non non-industrial. Uh, it's, it's more of a, like I went there for scuba diving and you know, like for the, the nature, the jungle and those things. And kind of like that was my impression of Philippines. But now like you're talking about analytics and all this need and how, how the data is growing. Tell us a bit about Manila, like what kind of city is it and what kind of like these companies that they operate, are, are the industries developed, are the companies themselves you know, growing and developed and uh, is it, is it um, like a big, uh, a big market in general, a big uh, economy? Yeah, yeah, so I guess just for context, you, you are correct. If anywhere else in the, in the Philippines, it's, it's a tropical uh, country beaches and, and jungles that's pretty much the scene and then you have a couple of areas uh, you mentioned one which is Cebu mm -hmm. and then of course there's the, the capital which is Manila and there's another one uh, uh, further down south called Davao these three uh, uh, hubs I would call them uh, are really full-fledged uh, you know uh, metropolises truly sprawling Manila in itself uh, at any given time of the day would have anywhere from 10 to 30 million people. So it's really, really big. Uh, I think the big uh, the big thing about how the Philippines has evolved, especially in the last 10 years, is that it's become a major destination for outsourcing. Mm -hmm. So call centers, BPOs, KPOs have been coming here. And, and a big part is because, uh, well, number one, the, the government uh, situation, the political situation is stabilized somewhat. Uh, I think, uh, you know, many, many people might recall uh, the Philippines having an interesting history with the likes of Ferdinand Marcos and, you know, a couple of uh, uh, insurgencies in the past. That's like more than 20 years ago. So the Philippines of today is a very stable business environment. Uh, there's a very strong American influence. Everyone speaks English. And I think that's been the fundamentals that's uh, brought a lot of outsourcing to the country. So you've got uh, everyone from the big banks like uh, Bank of America, JP Morgan, uh, to the big IT firms like Accenture, IBM, and uh, Teradata, they've all set up 
initially customer service centers here, and that's branched out uh, in the past 10 years to include other things like te technical support, uh, you know, uh, legal and medical transcription. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really given the economy a second wind. A lot of it is really dependent now on, on, on outsourcing more than anything. And I think it's reaching a new level of maturity because you've basically created a new workforce that's uh, technology, uh, technology savvy, communication ex uh, you know, expertise is pretty good. Mm -hmm. that now even the local industries are starting to pick up in terms of, hey, look, we can use the people that are coming out of these outsourcing centers. And, and analytics is just one of those things that, uh, you know, it's giving, giving the workforce additional opportunities uh, in addition to, you know, being an outsourcing hub. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. And so you're in a very interesting and lucrative, I would say, position, as long as you know how to take advantage of it, which it seems like, it looks like you do, uh, that you are in an emerging market or like it, it, it is a, a big city but in terms of the need for analytics it is only now realizing the um, demand or like the value of analytics and you as a consultant you're positioning yourself that you can provide that service though that value you can add it to the businesses and I think a lot of our listeners on the podcast like in different locations uh, might find themselves in a similar situation it might not be like it's a it's a country, like it's a different country, like um, in the Asia Pacific or it's um, some, some re remote location with, with jungles on one hand and big cities on the other. It might be somewhere in Europe or it might be somewhere in the US. But the, if you take those, you strip away like those, uh, like the geographical side of things and you look at the context, it might be exactly the same that your city at least for the listeners, that your city or uh, maybe even your country as a whole is now only getting to the stage where the industries and the economy in general are seeing value of analytics and positioning yourself as a personal company that can provide the value is like is a great step in growing a business. So, uh, Doc, can you give us like like um, you already mentioned how you came up with the idea? You, know, you were twenty years in the industry, but like, what did it take to actually get started? Because Ultimately, I would see it as, as quite a challenging thing to, you know, like start a business and position yourself out there saying that, hey, you know, I can provide the service like, and getting your first client and all those things, if you, if you don't mind sharing a bit of that. Yeah, a lot of it is really, uh, you know, just being fortunate enough to be, you know, in, in the proverbial right place at, at the right time. And, and when you say right time, uh, alongside the development of, the, let's say, offshoring and outsourcing in, in the country. Uh, the state of telecommunications has improved, and that's actually empowered a lot of, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have heard of the term digital nomads, so we've got people moving in and out, they can do most of their work from home, mm -hmm. uh, and the emergence of, let's say, cloud services has made, uh, you know, uh, doing a lot of work that previously involved a lot of technology locally, now you can do it all in the cloud, it's easier to collaborate now, it's easier to share data, share files, and just the proliferation of a lot of the I think information, especially in analytics on the internet, has these are like kind of the all the factors that got in. But if I'm going to point to like the single most uh, I think uh, factor that got me really started, it's that, that you find a need, uh, you see it every day. Like I, I saw it when I was uh, still working in IT. Uh, companies are now struggling with uh, with information with data. And then on the on the other hand, you've got a little bit of knowledge that you think you can you can solve that problem. I think in the first instance, it starts there. You know, you you start businesses 
not thinking of money, not thinking of capital. It's the it's best if you start it with a need or, or or a problem to solve. Of course, once you find that need, the other half is can you actually sell it or can you actually convince people that it's worth paying for? And I think that's where a lot of the people who are, who are thinking of getting into businesses, especially analytics businesses, are going to struggle a bit because I'll bet, uh, even though data and analytics has been around for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, uh, it's always been a back office thing. It's always been kind of like in the background. Now it's becoming more of a foreground investment for companies. Uh, but there's still a lot of confusion as to, okay, what's good, what's a good amount to charge? What's a good amount to pay for this stuff? And that's, you know, classic, you know, classical uh, evolution. I mean, web development and the internet started out the same way just uh, in the 90s. No one knew that the internet would be important. And you had all these uh, occupations related to the internet, like web developers, web designers, uh, you know, even graphic designers. Uh, they didn't know how to place themselves back in the day. And then now you've got a very rich uh, freelancing industry related to the internet and every company kind of takes it as a given that you have to be on the web. So I kind of see data and analytics moving into a similar evolutionary uh, cycle. Uh, but it is early days, I would say, with a few exceptions in the world. Um, most most economies, most countries are still kind of getting into data and analytics as a, as a more formal field. Mm -hmm. So you would say even despite the the uh, challenges of like guess like convincing clients to buy, you you would say that it is a good time to consider starting an analytics business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the biggest shift, uh, one of many anyway, uh, is that analytics is suddenly not just an IT problem because back in the day, uh, I'm sure many can relate. Uh, when you buy a BI tool or you know run a few uh, you know even Microsoft Excel for 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 the for the first part, that used to be stuff that the the IT department was worried about you know just installing it on your PC and getting it out there, uh, you know nowadays because these tools are very important to business it's becoming more of a business investment and that's shifted the conversation a lot. Now you have uh, marketing people, HR people, finance people concerned about what kind of tools, what kind of uh, analysis they need to put into play and it's no longer possible to do it by hand it's no longer possible to do it manually uh, so a lot of the conversations shifted from purely IT now business and I think that's where analytics best thrives in, in kind of like in the business domain rather than a pure technology uh, discussion mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah no that's that's definitely a good example I was just thinking of like there are just some things that you like it's better to give to the experts, right? Like yes, you can do it in the back end, but then you need to make sure you have a dedicated focus as a business. If you're going to do analytics as part of your uh, back end op operations, you got to make sure you have a dedicated focus to analytics and that you're building out that team. You know what you're doing, and you're following all these industry trends and standards. Where uh, and like you know innovation as well. Some things might not be standard. Some things might be like cutting edge, bleeding edge technology. And at the same time, you know like or you can go like find a company like such as yours and say, okay, how about you guys do it, and I don't have to worry about it. Especially even if you if a big organization is considering to implement analytics as a back end operation, then at the start. Like, it's going to be hard, right? Like, while you're doing that, you don't want to fall behind your competition and you still want to be on top. And plus, like, I'm sure when you guys go into a business, you, you coach them, you, you provide insight. You don't, like, just give the, the analytics, but you also 
provide insights on how it's done and like you know what your approach was what the methodology was and uh, at the end of the day like my my thing would be if you can come in and like provide a service that's great but if you can coach them to do their own to do it on their own like uh, I don't think that's that's uh, that's actually a good thing right like for me I would feel, feel great if I went if I'm a consultant I go into a business and I like yes I'm gonna lose them as a client because they'll build out their own internal capability but I'll feel good that I ha- I can actually help a business grow and do that. What well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, you 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 built you you brought up a very good point. Even even back when I was working in, in an IT company, that's always kind of the conundrum, right? The moment you you introduce a solution, the moment you teach a, a client how to do something, the initial motivation will always be, okay, I don't want to be paying a consultant forever. Yeah. Uh, let's let's uh, let's do it ourselves, or let's pay them long enough so we learn it. And I think that's. That's fair enough, uh, and I think that it's important that to recognize that even analytics itself, or if we use the more I think popular term, which is data science, right? Mm-hmm. There are levels uh, to to look at. I think there's a basic level where everyone needs to generate reports, everyone needs to be able to manage and cleanse data, and it's uh, you know this uh, descriptive analysis. You know, if you if you if you want to talk about it, uh, you know, in, across the spectrum. But then uh, at the same time, given the developments and say, not just in technology, but kind of in the types of data and the types of use cases that have come, come to fore in the past 10 years, there's also a need to do a little bit of what I would call, I don't know if this is a proper term, knowledge compression. So for example, let's take something esoteric like machine learning. You know, Once upon a time, no one cared about it or only like proper computer scientists and researchers would even think about doing machine learning. And this is like classical machine learning where you're uh, not even the deep learning stuff that where you do neural networks and logistic linear regressions, you know, mm-hmm. kind of that level of machine learning. Most businesses wouldn't care about that. But now that you've got such a rich tapestry of data to choose from, the use cases become even more, uh, you know, interesting and the cost of technology has fallen down. Suddenly, PhDs have a job in you know what would otherwise be a marketing department that's only been a recent phenomena and if you don't pick those guys up from the street you need experts to come in so even if you did find uh you know these talented individuals retaining them would be costly and there isn't enough supply of of that expertise so i think that's the niche where a lot of uh you know analytic consultants such as myself and you know some startups can hop in because you don't need these this like high level, uh, you know, PhD level type of machine learning every day. Not like not not like you would need like a typical report, right? But from time to time, you do need these services uh, to gain an edge on the competition. So yep. I'll give you an, an example, uh, uh, an esoteric machine learning use case, object detection, right? So you want to tell if a picture is a cat or a dog. That used to be just the stuff of science experiments. But now with the advent of open source uh, libraries and you know machine learning is now being democratized, uh, you can actually, without spending a dime, build your own object detection and image recognition system you know, in your laptop. But if you don't have, let's say, the, a guy who's been doing like computer vision research uh, or you know, proper big data technology uh, knowledge, uh, and you just toss that to any individual, that could you know, spell disaster for, for a business. But on the other hand, if you have the right expertise, the right tools, you can spin that in many, many different ways. You can use object detection for security, for instance, for fraud uh, detection, or you can use that uh, you know, to detect uh, inventories on your shelves without having to resort to manual counting. You know, th- these are like some of the emerging use cases 
that suddenly people who used to do this stuff just purely for research is now uh, coming into the commercial domain. So I think that's a space where, at least for the time being, there is a there is a niche for you know specialized consulting to come in. Yeah. But again, uh, we don't we don't just do that. We kind of do everything end to end, uh, full spectrum. So it's just an interesting development that wouldn't have been possible years ago, given that you know. The skills would be hard to come by, and the technology would be too expensive, and you know the data wouldn't be there. But now you've got a lot of these things happening now. Okay, gotcha. And uh, when you men- when you say full spectrum, can you, can you tell us a bit more? What does that mean? Yeah. Okay. So uh, serolytics are are, are basic. Uh, I would say verticals would kind of fall into three areas. One area is uh, in the data engineering side. So this is like the boring stuff. Most companies don't think they need, but they do. Mm-hmm. So, so things that range from how do you ingest data from your data sources or from outside or just getting data digitized into a proper form, storing that. So not quite full-scale data warehousing, like the likes of what IBM and Oracle offer, but you know, small-scale data warehousing, like the stuff we can do on Amazon or on, or on Azure or mm-hmm. on, a, on a Snowflake uh, you know, instance. And then moving on uh, up the value chain to business intelligence, machine learning, uh, and analytics. And then on the far end, uh, getting the, the the outputs of these analysis, and this is interesting because, uh, you know, without revealing too much, I think this is a gap right now in the data science industry. You've got a, a lot of people who can do a lot of fancy analysis, a lot of fancy models, fancy charts, et cetera. But in terms of making it friendly for a business user, that's kind of still lacking. And I think that's where I would say more traditional software development, application development comes in. So, yeah, never mind that you've got a very good, say, neural network that can identify potential customers with 98% accuracy. But if you have to run a whole slew of code to do it, your average marketer won't do it. Uh, but if you can get get them an app that could do it automatically, then that's kind of bridging the last mile. So that's kind of like one vertical for us, getting everything from sourcing the data all the way to turning it into, into an app. That's the data engineering vertical. The second vertical would be more around consulting, so de- determining what use cases are appropriate for your company. So this is less of a technology discussion, more about transformation, more about what kind of use cases do you do, uh, what do I need to do to improve my profit, my revenue, and, and, and I think we're just fortunate in the company uh, to, to have people who have worked, let's say, in telco or, or banking, let's, such as myself, or retail, such as uh, you know, a colleague of mine, Patricia. So we're all coming on, coming in from various business fields, but we're all coming together in, in the intersection, which is data. We all want to use data to improve businesses, so we dispense that advice. And then on the third leg, uh, we, we also do training. So especially in the Philippines, where we have to admit uh, skills are still in short supply, so there's never a shortage of people who want to do training. So we do that as well, whether it's in-house training or public training. Uh, we're not really marketing ourselves as a training company, though but it is a good source of leads. For those wanting to start analytics service companies, uh, do consider training because it can be very complimentary. You can test ideas and products in the training classes. Of course, apart from booking a little revenue as a trainer, you can use that as a rich source of leads. So normally the ones who would sign up for your training classes incidentally work for companies who do need analytics services. So it's been very, very helpful and successful for us in the past uh, you know, 24 months, finding customers attending these training classes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really cool. Thank you so much for sharing and diving into the description. So I'm, I'm just going to recap on that, especially I think it will be useful for those 
who are considering starting a business or maybe you know like somebody listening to this podcast might not be considering it now but maybe one day you'll come back to it and you can really listen this bit so vertical one is data and engineering where you do the whole suite from data sourcing to bi ml analytics and you make it friendly for the business user which as you mentioned is a critical uh point then you got vertical two which is the consulting uh, side of things and you more kind of like step away from the technology but you talk about the use cases for your company uh, for the specific company that you're working for and uh, make the approach tailored for them so they realize like what what they can get what value they can get out of analytics and vertical three is the training component where you have in-house and public training and uh, those are great rich sources of leads for you and your business because people who need training incidentally they're most likely working for companies that might need analytics services so it's a really good uh, setup I, I can see like how you have lots of synergies between the verticals yeah yeah it's also good to attract talent that way so normally if you can't find clients in these training classes you will find a future freelancer or a future collaborator because they, 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 they suddenly quote unquote see the light and mm. say hey I've been looking for this all my life and now you've you showed me how I can become more productive. If, in fact, a couple of the guys who are working with us now started out as students, and they have since um, you know done a career shift. So that's a kind of like a, a a lesser, I think, less taxing way to get into the industry is rather than go full on and start your own company. Maybe find a startup that you can apprentice with or do some freelance gigs with. And I think over time there'll be more and more companies such as ours. Will be on the lookout for talent and you know training is a quick way to find them gotcha gotcha and speaking of like uh talent i have a bit of a more of a business question for you so you mentioned you're 10 people right now and what i was wondering is like are you planning to grow the business because like i've seen two types of uh, ways like consulting analytics consulting firms can develop one way is when you keep growing and you grow into like a larger uh more mature analytics business where uh, people are trained in the different components of analytics, for instance, in the different parts of the verticals that you described, and you have specific people doing specific roles. On the other hand, there are smaller, or there are businesses who choose to say smaller, more boutique analytics consulting firms, but they train up their staff to be like Swiss army knives of data science, and they can do almost anything, and they then they can still be competitive with uh, 10 people and because it's such a small firm they don't have the large overheads and yet they can still charge um, large fees for their services so there's kind of like two ways that i've seen uh, analytics firms develop what what is your plan for your business if you don't mind sharing of course yeah yeah so, so that's a great point and i totally agree uh and i don't know if this is going to be counterintuitive but we're going to be more of the latter for the most part so one of the things that so far for the past uh, 24 months has worked to our advantages. We're quite fast uh, in delivering outcomes for clients and that's why they stick to us. Uh, so if, if we're going to grow and most of our most of our manpower comes from freelancing, so it's probably not going to grow that much from the current size in terms of you know the actual hands-on work. And you're, you're, you're perfectly, you hit it on the nail when you say uh, the goal is to make Swiss Army knives, so like jack of all trades. So like if I'm going to talk about myself, uh, I did start from, say, the business side of things. I got into the IT side, learned the engineering. 
And then in my past life, I was in banking. That's where I picked up some of the statistical knowledge on the data science. So I'm all, a little bit of a jack of all trades, and that's also how I, I've found the people I collaborate with. On the other hand, uh, we, we are conscious that there are some parts of our verticals that are growing really quickly relative to market demand, uh, and that might deserve a second look. For example, the training uh, that I mentioned earlier, there's a huge demand on the ground for us to do training, and now it's actually coming to a point where the training's getting in the way of actually doing the job and uh, or doing the rest of the work and some of us enjoy doing the work more than teaching it. So that is a serious consideration for us to say as early as 2019, 2020, do we spin off, say, a proper proper analytics uh, training center, or a proper school for analysts, or do we even go further than that and become more of an analytics recruitment center where we come in, kind of sausage factory, give you the training, and then place you in a job, all of which could be lucrative, at least in the near term. So those are serious considerations. But my default position would be uh, we're doing well at the moment being a boutique uh, vendor. We're doing uh, great work. We're actually looking to you know, start uh, creating a few products that uh, our clients can actually start subscribing to so you get a little bit of passive revenue without uh, doing extra work. Uh, and then in the medium term, think about spinning off uh, a more proper division, let's say for training, which uh, which, which could be a, a good a good play in uh, in this current market environment. Okay, gotcha. Well, thank you very much for sharing. <laughs> I hope none of your competitors hear this because you're sharing everything on on your strategy. But I'm sure everybody appreciates it. Who's uh... yeah, we're talking about talk about competitors, and again, this is uh, uh, hopefully doesn't end up you know shooting business in the foot but I'll tell you why it won't because right now uh, I don't know how many of your listeners will be able to relate to this the state of the analytics industry is really still quite siloed so we mentioned data engineering for example uh, even that isn't really properly defined so you've got some IT people who know how to extract data and maybe you need a you have a few DBAs to know how to put it in a database and then, then you you have a few analysts who kind of know how to get it out of a database, put it in your Python notebook, and you know come up with some visualizations. And then you have another application developer who will get the output of that, turn it into an app. So you need those four people to really cooperate. And the irony is, you have IT vendors, you have database vendors, you have analytics vendors, and you have app uh, application developers. But they only know what to, you know that they're a little piece of the pie. So there's really, really opportunity in you know stitching these things together, being more of a full service uh, or say generalist uh, type of vendor. I mean, it won't it won't fit everyone, mm -hmm. but there is opportunities in stitching together several things. So uh, I think the industry will see more of that because you know you don't want to be paying four different people to do what one vendor or two vendors can do, or do really, really well. And as I said, we, we don't really play in the enterprise space. So the clientele we attract aren't also the type who would be hiring like five or six different vendors from you know mega companies. They prefer a one-stop shop. So I think that's, that's an opportunity, especially for people who are starting out. I think maybe easily nine out of 10 people I meet who are starting out data scientists kind of focus more on the analysis and uh, well, that's very good. It's very, very rich field to get into. There's a lot of things to do, but don't ignore the other parts of the value chain. So while you're studying your R and your Python, or maybe your, you know, your data visualizations, your tableaus, don't forget the back end because that's where the data is going to come from. And normally, when you get into a job, even if you're not starting a company, you're going to start out as an employee. 
you're going to have to do that anyway. You're going to have to do, you know, run a few queries, get data from someplace. Uh, and, and the company would appreciate if you could do both, you know, rather than have to rely on the IT department uh, to do that. So that's a kind of a trade, an open trade secret that for some reason, no one, uh, people are collectively ignoring, or at least maybe in my end, you know, mm -hmm. maybe in, everywhere else it's already developing. But uh, um, rather than keep it to myself, I think we will all benefit if people become more multidisciplinary as a result. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree with you. And uh, like you gave me this, this thought as well that the analytics industry is also not mature at all. Like, you know, as opposed to the accounting industry or, um, yeah. I don't know, like, like some finance, areas of finance. And there's lots of room for many companies. And I think it's, it's very ad admirable that what you're doing, you know, by sharing this information, because ultimately instead of making like even competitors like instead of competing with companies companies can like create alliances and work together absolutely absolutely um just just as an example another one so uh, we, and we can talk about this more later uh we i said we're not a proper training company yet but we we've tried uh we're trying an experiment uh in in september and october we're going to run a few niche classes and the target is really really not data scientists or data engineers as such. The target would be like business decision makers and maybe business analysts and run them through what we would call a master class where we would take them through the entire value chain. Hey, look, this is where you get the data. Hey, look, this is how you store it. Hey, look, this is how you analyze it. But rather than focusing on, uh, you know, the, what, what, what everybody seems to be doing in training, which is, you know, teach code here, teach software there. Uh, of course, you, that's important, but no one's actually out there teaching the, the business uh, decision makers. So just exactly why do you need the data or how would you use uh, these types of reports? And that's another niche that's waiting to be filled um, in, in terms of now you've got a, a rich uh, you know, source of data. You've got a lot of tools at your disposal. Maybe you've built your analytics team, but then the gap is. So what are they going to do? I mean, they don't speak the same language as the business or vice versa. The business people don't speak enough of the data language uh, to translate their, their objectives into, into analytic, uh, you know, uh, models and, you know, and strategies. And then that's it. That's a lot of sunk investment right there. And, and as a smaller niche to that, just to put it on the table, now that we're getting into, uh, you know, more automated decision making, more algorithms, there's a looming need for what I would call data ethics professionals. So if you think about the stuff that recently happened with you know, Cambridge uh, Analytica and Facebook on the one hand, or you know, a couple of months ago, uh, the self-driving car ran over someone in Florida, and that yeah. was purely on the basis of you know, the failure of some object detection process. So now people are getting hurt and they're dying because of data. And no one actually seems to be stepping up and saying, hey, look, you should be this code of conduct or ethical standards when you use data. In the same way that we have similar things for medicine or, 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 or law, when you get into a more mature field, there is an ethical uh, line that needs to be drawn on how these, are thi these things are, 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 are being used. And the only thing people seem to talk about now is privacy, and that's tip of the iceberg when it comes to ethics. So that's another field that, you know, I wish, uh, you know, maybe if I had more headspace, setting up a data ethics consultancy would be probably the, the thing for 2020 and beyond. So, you know, it's just an early shout out 
for people who are coming from the, let's say, the legal profession or, you know, the ethics profession. Data is out there waiting for you if you want to do something. Wow, fantastic. And thank you for those uh, two uh, use cases of, uh, you know, like data and uh, training. Like, so you mentioned the the executives uh, or the business decision makers training and like the ethics. I totally... I understand this this whole um, this ethics side of things, and I think you described it in quite a, quite a bit of detail. It's got a lot of opportunity, uh, but I'd like to talk a bit more about this um, business decision maker training. Like, wh- where how did you come up with that idea? Because it's very similar. Like, it's interesting how, like, you know, we we haven't spoken before, but like we're thinking in the same direction because that's exactly what we're focusing on right now. Like, we've also identified this as a niche. And we're thinking, how can we help executives and business decision makers better understand data and better uh, use it to their advantage to help grow the businesses? How did how did you come up with that idea? So I think a lot of it is inspir- inspired by I guess my own adventures back in the day when I was uh, working in banking. I spent 14 years in banking before I went into IT, and I was a business decision maker and. Through numerous frustrations, because I couldn't get an analyst to kind of cough up the report that I wanted, I kind of ended up doing it myself or getting my own people to do it. And then on the other hand, uh, you know, numerous struggles with IT to, you know, source the right information. Because if you're a decision maker, you need information and the information doesn't come easily, uh, especially if you're in a company that's uh, not quite mature. So that was like the primary inspiration. There's, there's probably tens of thousands of people exactly going through the same challenges that I did. And there's nothing out there that's helping them. So that's in the first instance. So maybe if we cough up something, uh, you know, people would be interested. The other thing, I, I guess from a broader perspective that I'm, I'm usually pretty conscious of, let's say I would call changes in uh, say generational habits. So everyone calls, you know, everyone groups people into like 20 year buckets, right? We have these baby boomers for the first 20 years after the war and then the Gen X, and then now we've got the millennials and now you'll have Gen Y and Gen Z. So all of them have very, you know, I would say uh, as a general group have different habits. But one thing that has made a big change now, particularly as we approach 2020, is many companies are being run by Gen Xers and millennials. And the big difference between these guys, including us and our and our parents and grandparents, is we grew up in a very digital uh, environment. We, we played computer games, uh-huh. we were internet, and we kind of want to manage businesses that way, you know? The biggest inspiration for analytics is, uh, I think, computer games. You know, you want, you want a, a scorecard. You want an indicator of how many thing, how many customers you've, uh, you've, uh, you've tapped. Everyone responds to that quite naturally. So intuitively, we kind of you know what data is supposed to be used for, but in terms of the availability of you know proper training out there, like hey look, so if you want, if you if you respond well to a scorecard, what does a scorecard look like for your business, for example? Or if you like using apps like Google Maps or Waze, like Waze is pretty pretty uh, popular here, and you use that to get around, what's the app that you need to to help you navigate your your business strategies? You know, do you have like the equivalent of a Waze or a Google Maps for your business? And that takes a lot of uh, you know uh, not just number crunching. But a lot of, uh, you know, uh, insight, you know, you need people to be guided to think about data in a certain way and whether you're in HR or marketing or an operations job, whether you're in finance or telco, the needs are very, very similar. You want to make, make sure your business is viable. You want to be sure you're, you make money. 
And it's very rare that you can find, you know, opportunities to link data and that together. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the background. I said, okay, why don't we start listing down what are the typical use cases for, say, marketing? So marketers want to acquire customers or they want to retain existing customers or they want to understand if customers are complaining or about to leave. So these are very normal things marketers do. But then guess what? Now that we're in the digital era, all of this have an equivalent data point. And the analysts know about those data points. The engineers know about these data sources. But it's in stitching it together. That's the crucial mix. So that was the inspiration for the masterclass. Uh, and yeah, uh, hopefully it works out. The initial response has been very positive. Mm -hmm. But again, you run into the usual challenges of since it's never been done before or it's very mm -hmm. rare, no one knows how much to pay for it or whether it's worth paying for. Uh, so that's the proverbial kind of uh, you know first mover issue that we need to to, to address. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I think it's 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 the way people should be thinking about data moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And another challenge I find with this type of masterclass is, as you say, because it's something so new, um, the business decision makers don't really know how to pitch it to you know the board of directors or to the to their managers because like not not ultimately you're going to get like the the CEOs taking this might be like like a CTO or might be just like a like a high level manager and they need a they need to include in their budget right so they they don't really know how to pitch it to their uh, manager to say hey look I need this training because it's going to benefit the business and then so th their default fallback is thinking that it is an out-of-pocket expense for them and because like ultimately you know you cannot run this as a like the, sa the same way as you run a training class you cannot get like a hundred people in the room you can only do it very um, specific very small. yeah yeah you yeah. want you want like 10 people in the room max or t 12 I don't know and so because of that the price is going to be high and then like they got this dilemma that on one hand they they want they know it's business value they don't know how to pitch it to their boss on the other hand uh, it's very expensive, so they can't really pay out of pocket. And they're like, you know, you know what? I, <laughs> I'm just gonna probably like pass on this opportunity when it's ultimately it's, it's the the thing that's gonna change so much because uh, if you change what's happening at the top, the whole business changes. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's almost like it's 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 not just a business transformation issue. Mm. It's a cultural cultural transformation issue. If you're if you're not used to thinking about data training or analytics training as a as a business expense and as i said this probably will probably end up by default in the it department mm -hmm. or the cio's uh you know purview yeah and you do you do meet i mean on the rare instances sometimes that it is the it department that's encouraging the business to join them and that's usually a good uh peg if you find or or you, you have sort of the newer type of uh, executive, like the chief digital officer or the chief data officer, who kind of sits in between IT and the business. And normally it's their initiative to, to get into this, but that's kind of a rare thing. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, um, just as another tip, what, what I've seen uh, work uh, really well is if you land or, or find a company that's that's pr hitting pr the proverbial brick wall in terms of their growth. You know, they used to be a small company and they hit the mid, the medium sized uh, you know level, and they and they're still running it like a mom and pop shop, and now they're suffering. Or the other way around, like you have a medium sized company and they're about to kind of enter enterprise territory, but they're still kind of doing everything manually, and now they're suffering. So there's suddenly a pain point that they can't address. Uh, 
And that usually gets you an audience with the decision maker and say, you know what your pain point is, is that you're still doing it the way a small company does it. And that's where data and analytics can come in and, and, and sort it out. Mm-hmm. So they kind of see it as, okay, uh, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not really sure if what you're telling me is, is true, because I've never heard of it before, but it's worth a little experiment. Okay, maybe I'll send five people or six people and you know and and then you take it from there but uh you know it's it's a maturity thing you know over time it become it'll become normal and if you can imagine maybe 15 years back people were thinking about e-commerce and the internet pretty much the same way like hey do i need a website or what kind of digital marketing do i need you know even back in the day people refused to acknowledge that digital marketing was part of marketing yeah <laughs> so we're a marketing department the digital marketing is that guy yeah. and he's part of the it department yeah. so it's the same i mean now it's it's a given if you're not online it's it's it's, it's marketing suicide so you know chief marketing officers need to have a digital strategy so yeah, it's, it's just this first hump that we all need to get through. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating that you're, you're, you're getting through the same challenges we are. And yeah, maybe we, we need to have more discussions like this to understand how we can do it better. For sure, for sure. Um, uh, well, that's, that's been very exciting and we're slowly coming to, uh, like it's crazy how time flies. Like it's slowly already coming <laughs> to the end of this podcast. Um, I have like a interesting question for you that I'd like to get your opinion on. So from okay. what you from what you've seen like 20 years in the industry and now you know you've moved to consulting doing your own consulting uh, in the space of analytics uh, and growing a team and you know helping other businesses where do you think the field of data science is going and what should our listeners look into to prepare for the future Well I think um, from what I'm seeing in, in 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 the local market and I think this kind of mirrors what's happening across the world in various degrees um, maybe three big trends I'm seeing. The first one is uh, democratization of knowledge and skills. You know, back in the day, you know, when data science wasn't even a term, you know, it's really, it was very hard. When I say back in the days, like as late as the 90s, very hard to find information about, you know, analytics. You know, you have to find special books and you have to find special people. And it's it's usually you're you're usually stuck in statistics departments and maybe computer science departments and and then they they, they don't talk to each other. Now we're seeing every major university uh, coming up with some sort of a data science course. And I think that's more good than bad because uh, the one thing everyone still struggles with is what is the proper definition. And I'd rather not get into that debate anymore. It's more about hey, you know what? Learn as much as you can because the market's waiting for you. And of course, the internet has been very helpful. You know, the rise of the open source trend. Everyone now, you know, can can pretty much learn Python and R and all these open source uh, software on their own. Watch a few videos, listen to the podcasts like these. So there's never been a, mo- a time in history where mm-hmm. knowledge has been more democratic. Mm-hmm. But adoption has been slow. So we are. We're, that's the second trend that I'm seeing. So I think. Uh, after 2008, so as a banker, that was a pivotal moment for me. It was the financial crisis. You know that financial crises have a have a habit of knocking out you know uh, businesses that aren't robust or inefficient, and that's given you know rise to a, a more you know a more conscious need to okay, how do I upend the competition? How do I get ahead? And margins are getting slimmer every day and regulations are getting tighter so the need for you know that that new thing that new holy grail to get ahead of businesses 
Uh, data is one of them. Of course, you have you know other big, big, big stuff like you know the usual stuff like blockchain and all these other trends. Mm-hmm. So I would say analytics falls smack dab in the middle of that. Before it used to be niche, like it's a luxury. Mm-hmm. Now when you have companies, the most expensive companies in the world are like the Googles and the Facebooks, and you know these are all data companies. It's only it's foolish for you to ignore it. And in in a in a country like the Philippines, which is pretty protected. Uh, more and more industries are getting opened up to liberalization and uh, market competition, and we only need to look at the what happened to Uber, for example, and and Grab for for Asia, and how that's messed up the taxi industry, and see how getting a bit of data and analytics into your business model can really really be disruptive. So that's the second trend. You know, you're going to see more of that moving forward. I think the third one uh, is interesting because there's a subset of analytics. Uh, it, for me, at least, it's a subset, which is uh, the, the whole area of deep learning and artificial intelligence. And it's still, for the most part, I mean, if you listen to the media, it's still in uh, it's still in uh, science fiction territory. You know, everyone's worried about the rise of the machines and the, you know the terminators and all that. And and I think that's an area which is interesting to watch. Because the more you think about it, the more intelligent algorithms start to permeate processes in the workplace. I don't think it's necessarily machines rising up against the humans, but it's more about how do humans work together with machines better? You know, it's, it's not going to be Kasparov versus IBM Deep Blue anymore. It's about how do I get a chess algorithm to beat a, a normal chess player? So that's going to be interesting because when machines become independent, not you know, you shouldn't be worried about you know, how they're going to make your life horrible. You know, what's exciting is to see how they're going to make your life uh, more efficient and better. So when cars start driving themselves, imagine how more efficient that will make transportation, for example. So there's going to be an analog everywhere else you go. And uh, AI, machine learning, deep learning, these are not easy things to do. And that means there's going to be a massive demand for people who understand not just the technology, but the maths and the, the sciences behind it. So again, there's never been a better time to get into the nerdy stuff, <laughs> yeah. like you know, computer science and, and, and math, you know, and uh, that's great. I mean, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, there's a very good chance most of them are going to be a data worker of some sort. Just like once upon a time, uh, there was one computer operator in a, in a workforce of 100, and then now everyone has a laptop. Mm. So now you've got maybe a couple of people who know data in, in a workforce don't. Uh, it won't. It won't be very long before everyone's a data worker at some level. So there's a lot of new jobs that can that can come out of that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for the, such a detailed overview. Uh, very, very insightful. I'm just going to recap three big trends that uh, you're seeing. So first is democratization of skills. It's never been easier to learn things, especially with online. Um, then second trend was uh, the proliferation of data science. Data science is becoming more commonplace and examples such as just even Uber showing how disruptive it can be uh, is, uh, is those things that are like pushing businesses to not see data science as just like a, uh, something like a, a nice uh, toy to play around with but something that is going to become part of their operations, like an integral part of their business. And the third trend is machines working with humans, and that is uh, concerning more AI, machine learning, deep learning. The complex things, the nerdy things, or the things that used to be considered just nerdy are now becoming more and more as well commonplace, and they're going to be helping us make our lives better. So it's a good time to jump onto those trends. So yeah. thank you so much, Dominic, for sharing all those insights. I'm, I'm sure lots of people 
learned a ton. I personally learned a ton uh, today from you. Um, if anybody would like to follow you or learn more about you know, the things you share, follow your career, maybe even get in touch, um, what are the be- some of the best places and ways to contact you? Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really only on LinkedIn on a personal basis. So mm-hmm. just hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, you can look for Dominic Ligot or Doc Ligot uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, my company is on Facebook, though. So I don't have a Facebook account because I'm, a, I'm such a privacy nut. <laughs> uh, but, but the company's there. <laughs> I mean, if you know enough about data, it spooks you out too much. Yeah. So uh, interestingly. But yeah, you can search for us on, on Facebook. Uh, just uh, search for Serolytics or Serolytics Research Services at C-I-R-R-O-L-Y-T-I-X. Uh, and then we also have a website. You can find us at Serolytics.com. Um, if you, uh, you're you're based in Asia or, or in the Philippines, uh, you might be interested to, to hear about our masterclass. So uh, the URL is upskill.ph, so U-P-S-K-I-L-L.ph. Uh, or you can also look for business analytics masterclass uh, on Google, and I'm sure it's one of the things that will pop up. So yeah, looking forward to linking up with you guys. All right, thank you very much, and we'll definitely share those all those links in the show notes. And I just have one last question for you today: What is a book that you can share with our listeners to help them in their careers? Okay, so there are actually two. One is an older one, and one is a newer one. Uh, on the older book that I'll keep defaulting back to, uh, and this is not a technical book because you, you, there are too many of those already. Uh, there's a book called Competing on Analytics by Tom Davenport. That for me has just been the classic Bible for me in terms of what differentiates a company who uses analytics for not just as a toy, but for competitive advantage mm-hmm. versus the ones that don't. So yeah, and I, I'm sure if you read more of Davenport's books, he talks about very similar things moving forward. So that's one. The other one is more on the philosophical side. Uh, there's a book called Life 3.0 by Max Tegmark, and he talks about all the hypotheses related to AI, from the from the really crazy ones where the AI enslaves us, yeah. <laughs> to the to the more I would say realistic uh, ones where uh, you know we kind of merge with machines eventually, and that kind of gives us the next step in evolution. Now I like that book because not only does it you know uh, spark the, the the imagination, but it also gives you some practical grounding to, to to look forward to like why why are we all studying this why is this a big deal and I think the secret is it's 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 a major part of human human existence now data is is us you know and the digital and the real world are, are, are blending together very very quickly so you know the the future belongs to those who understand data very well you know it's like uh, it's like the new it's the new real world <laughs> technically. Totally agree, totally agree. And there's lots of, that's a, lots of movies to portray that that come out yeah. recently. And so just to recap, the books are Competing Analytics by Tom Davenport. By the way, uh, for our listeners, Tom Davenport is uh, the person who, together with DJ Patel, wrote that article that uh, proclaimed data science as the sexiest <laughs> job of the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, the second book was Life 3.0 by Max Tegmark. So thank you so much, Doc, for coming on the show today. Once again, really appreciate you spending the time uh, taking out of your busy schedule to share all these insights. Thanks for having me. So there you have it. That was Dominic Legot. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I personally enjoyed it a lot and also learned a ton. Probably my favorite part of today's show was 
just the variety of business tips that Dominic was supplying and the fact that despite the temptation, we didn't switch to talking about the technical aspects. I know that probably a lot of you are thinking that it would be nice to talk about the technical components, but we have lots of podcasts to choose from in that space. Here, I think the value and the advice that Dominic was sharing in the space of actually building a consulting business in the space of analytics was extremely valuable. So on that note, if you'd like to get the show notes, as usual, you can get them at www.superdayscience.com slash 183. There you will also find the URL for Dominic's LinkedIn. Make sure to connect and get in touch. And especially if you're in Southeast Asia or in the Philippines, then reach out to Dominic and maybe attend one of his training sessions. Maybe he can help you with some consulting work or maybe you you can just exchange some information Um, about what's going on in uh, this space of analytics. And uh, on the other hand, if you know somebody who is in that region and who might benefit from connecting with Dominic, then be the connector and uh, connect those two people. I'm sure they'll say thank you to you at the end of it. Uh, On that note, I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. Can't wait to hear you and see you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing.